Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we are studying the prophet Ezekiel, the Navi Yechezkel, chapter 4. This is Saul Weinreb, the host of your podcast. In the last chapter, <clears throat> we just studied how the Navi, the prophet, was not able to speak on his own. God had, so to speak, chained him so that he himself, as, as a concerned a leader as a concerned person wasn't allowed to or, and wasn't able to speak to the people themselves because they refused to listen. However, um, the way we explained it, he was told to speak only in the name of God, to say the messages that God gave him. In this chapter, it's going to begin a series of, of rather than speeches, uh, uh, one way of conveying a message to people is to say it to them. But it he is actually asked to speak, so to speak, to the people, to convey the message to them by doing various symbolic acts through which he's going to try and and um, convey the message to the people by explaining to them, this is why I am doing these acts. And by doing an act, especially an act that, that entails a significant amount of suffering on his part, this will hopefully arouse the people and awaken them to, um, to, to the purpose of the message. The, um, <clears throat> so, the, 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 uh, so that's what uh, this chapter is going to uh, uh, begin, is that new series. So now let's look at uh, chapter 4, verse 1. And you, human being, I would like you to take a brick. So the first symbolic act is going to be not one where he tortures himself or does something dramatic so much, but he's going to set up a, a, almost a panorama, a, a, a model, which is going to convey, this is what I'm talking about. This is the purpose of what I'm doing. So he's going to take this brick, I'll place it before you. We're imagining he's in his home or um, so put on the floor or on a table or something, this brick, and, and you engrave upon it an image which would be understood as the image of Jerusalem. Um, you know, maybe some, some buildings that are known for Jerusalem, images that people will recognize, this brick represents the city of Jerusalem. And you should place around it a siege. Maybe soldier, uh, little uh, pieces representing soldiers surrounding this city. <clears throat> and you will build upon it. Dayek are, um, are towers. And a siege ramp. You should pour down, maybe pour down some sand that represents a siege ramp towards the city. And then surrounding that, you have the camps where the soldiers are based. <clears throat> And you should place upon the city uh, models, the images of, of rams, battering rams that are there to crush the walls of the city. So in other words, set up a scene, uh, a scene of war against the city of Jerusalem, a scene of siege. People will then understand that the message you're trying to convey is one that is regarding um, the siege of Jerusalem, viata, and then you should take... <coughs> Until now, everything seems pretty typical of someone who would want to set up a war scene. But this next thing in verse 3 is a little different. Machvat Barzel, take a, a, um, <clears throat> a pan, an iron pan, 
Machvat usually means a pan. Take an iron pan, venasata osa kir barzel, and place it as a wall of an iron, between you and the city. Exactly what this wall, this iron wall represents, um, is difficult to. Um, I'm not sure if this was the inspiration for uh, uh, Winston Churchill when he said that the iron curtain descending upon <coughs> Soviet Union, although I, it's quite likely that this was the inspiration for that term iron curtain that we were, we're familiar with from the Cold War. But but either way, um, there are several interpretations of what this iron wall is supposed to represent. Uh, Rashi explains that it's a reference to the wall of the city, but a lot of commentaries say, well, he already built a wall of the city. And um, <clears throat> uh, others say, uh, the Radak explains that this refers to the stubbornness of the people of Israel. Others say that this refers to the God's hidden face, the Hester Panim, that God is saying there's an iron wall between me and the people. Um, but I think that I'm going to go with the Malbim's explanation because it fits the words of the Pasuk and it fits the theme, I think, the best. And that is, The iron wall is between you, Ezekiel, you, Yechezkel, and the city. Because you are not able to reach the city with the message. The city is refusing to listen to you and I've tied you up with, with ropes. You cannot speak to them because your rebuke isn't going nowhere. The iron wall represents your inability to communicate the message to the people in the city. <clears throat> on the other hand, he is able to communicate this message to the people that are not in the city, the people that are with him in the exile. And then you should set your face against it. Your face here um, probably represents the face of the enemy who is attacking. Uh, we're going to see later in the chapter where uh, Yechezkel's own body, his arm, represents the arm of the enemy attacking. And, and then uh, the city shall then be under siege. And you shall then lay siege upon it. And this doesn't mean you, obviously, but it means you representing in this image the enemy. O And it should be a sign for the people of Israel. The, the, the os is really for the people of Israel that are with him in Gaulus, in exile. The ones that are there in Babylon, this will be a sign for them and a sign to understand the meaning of the rest of the message that we're about to begin. So now that you set this up, now they know and they understand that the subject at hand is the subject of the destruction and fall of Jerusalem. Biata, <clears throat> now you, Shechaval Tzidchah I want you to lie down on your left side, Visamta es avon beis Yisrael olav, and 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 the left side upon which you are lying will then um, bear the sins of the house of Israel. Mispar hayomim asher teshkav olav, the number of days that you're going to lie on your left side, tisa es avonam, you will bear the sins of the people. I'm going to explain in a minute, but let me read verse five first. Va'anina sati luchas shnei avonam. I'm going to tell you how many years. They sinned for lemispar yamim, and it's going to be an account of days. So you're going to lie there for a, a, a number of days, which will represent the number of years that they sinned, which is shalosh meot v'tishim yom. So you're going to lie for 390 days. V'nasasa avon beis Yisrael, and with this you will carry the sin of the people of Israel. First of all, what does this mean? Carry the sin of the people of Israel, and second of all, what is this 390 days? We're going to see in a minute that he's going to sit another 40 days representing the house of Yehuda, the house of Judah. So as we know, 
the people started off as the people of Israel, the all 12 tribes, eventually they split. Uh, but then both the northern and southern kingdoms lasted for a while until eventually the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians and until eventually the southern kingdom of Judah was destroyed, or as about in this case by Ezekiel's time, about to be destroyed by the Babylonians. <clears throat> There's a lot of different explanations as to where this, how to calculate these 390 days and 390 years and 40 days, 40 years, but it seems pretty clear that the 390 days represents to the people the history of the people. They all know that the, the house of Israel, Judah and Israel, everyone was together until a certain point, and that's represented by this 390 days, and then Israel was punished. And Yehuda still had some merit, enough to continue lasting, more of a chance. Then eventually Yehuda sent to, and then they were destroyed. So it's, the people will understand that these 390 days are referring to one period in history before the destruction of the Northern Kingdom. And the 40 days represent the 40 years and represent the time when it was just Yehuda left, just Judah, just the Southern Kingdom. This is something that people will understand. By lying on his left side, what does it mean, Tisa, you will carry their sin? It doesn't mean, of course, that he is going to somehow uh, atone for the people. It doesn't work that way. But rather, Tisa Savonam, you are, by doing this, essentially what you're showing is, is that you are representing their suffering because you are suffering with them. You're not doing this in a way of arrogance by saying, ha ha, here I am in exile, I'm escaping the destruction, you guys in Jerusalem are getting destroyed. Because when he's teaching the people in exile that they can still relate to God, there's still hope, they can still build, they can still grow, if only they repair their personal lives, some could accuse him of saying, and, 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 and by prophesying destruction for the people of Jerusalem, some could accuse him and say, you don't care about them. You don't, you don't, you're not with them. So God is saying, no, you are going to lie here. This is an extremely difficult and, and an extremely uncomfortable way of, of, of self-destruction, um, uh, not destruction, but of suffering imposed upon himself which represents, no, I am suffering with them. This suffering is something that we all are experiencing and we all are living with. And I am demonstrating, I'm not demonstrating the, the, the people of the exile by celebrating and saying I got away, but rather I'm showing that this suffering is something we all went through and we all have to identify with. So verse six, v'chilisa es eila, and then when you complete those 390 days, then you will turn over, v'shachavta al tzudcha hayimani shenis, and now for the second round of lying down on your side, you will lie down on your right side. V'nasasa savon beitz Yehuda, then you will carry the sin of the house of Yehuda, arboim yom, for 40 days, yom lashana, yom lashana nesativ lach. For what it'll be a day per each year, a day per each year. That is what I'm giving you to lie on your side. There's a lot of uh, talk about where the 40 years comes from, just like there was about the 390. The 40 years maybe represented the 40 years in the desert and various things. I already explained it the way I think it means, and I'm not going to go into the specifics of where these numbers come from exactly. But the general idea I think we got. <clears throat> but now, Again, you are going to look at, when you're lying down, you're going to face the model that you put on the ground in order to remind people, I'm not just lying on my side, I'm lying on my side to demonstrate that these 390 and 40 years of, 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 of sin resulted in the siege of Jerusalem, which is represented in front of you. And your arm should be 
um, bare and outstretched. In other words, showing that that you um, as if the and the Radak and Rashi explained that the Zerachah Chashufa is the image of an arm lifted against the city. Represent you there representing the soldiers that are marching or camping against the city. Again, showing that it's Ezekiel is is acting as if he is is the enemy in this against the city in this model. And you should then say prophecy upon it. Clearly this means that Ezekiel is speaking. He's explaining what he's doing. When people are seeing him, people come to visit him. People, of course, are talking about this strange guy doing the strange things. The message is getting out. So Ezekiel is going to speak and explain the meaning of what he's doing. So he's not not speaking. He's just explaining what the purpose of this very dramatic thing that he's doing. But behold, God says, I, you know that I placed ropes upon you. In other words, I locked you up. I'm not allowing you to speak on your own. You cannot flip over from side to side until the days of the siege are over. In other words, you are stuck in this position. You're stuck doing this. You're able to speak because to explain what I'm telling you to do, but you don't have any ability to make choices on your own, representing the inability of the people under siege to have any independence or make choices on their own. But that's not it. In verse 9, we're going to see the next symbolic act, which means the suffering is even more. And not only is the freedom of choice and independence taken away from you by the siege, but physical suffering is significant as well. Viata and you, kachacha, I want you to take. It lists several types of different grains. Chitin uh, is usually translated wheat, usor and barley, upol and beans. Ba'adashim is usually translated as lentils, v'dochan, v'kusmim, and millet, and, and emmer. These are different kinds of grains. And v'nosata osam b'chli echad, and I want you to put them in a, in a keli, in a vessel. Basically crush them together and make them into osam, and you mix them up into a, a dough and bake them into a bread. Mispar hayomim, for all of those days, 390 plus 40, it's 430 total that you're lying on your side for 390 days this is what you're going to eat uh, there's been various calculations as to how much um, um, calories this is we're looking at probably somewhere between 1000 and 1500 calories a day which is extremely minimal for a full grown man to survive on for that long um, he was lying in bed and hardly moving, which, which helps uh, possibly barely enough to actually survive. Um, uh, but, uh, but he's doing this and suffering in order to show that he is not being arrogant and saying that I'm better because uh, and we're better because we are away from Jerusalem, but rather he's, he's showing that he is bearing the suffering with them. And the amount that you're going to eat is esrim shekel ayom, is the weight of 20 shekels a day. That's how much you eat in every 24 hour period. Um, and you'll drink water by measurement. You'll, you won't have a lot of water, so you'll drink shishis ahin, a sixth of a hin. This is estimated again to be a small amount of water, um, uh, but. Uh, probably barely enough to survive. And the way you're going to eat this, it, as the same way you eat it as a barley cake, apparently, you know, that, that was a thing that they would do. So God is saying, bake it the same way you would bake a barley cake. 
And how will you bake it? You'll bake it in front of the people over uh, using human fecal matter as a as a fuel. Dried feces has been used for fuel for a long time, but usually it's dried animal dung, which is, is often used for fuel. But um, dried human dung is, is, is um, more grotesque more um, disgusting to people and God wants him to do it that way so um, Vayomer and so 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 again he's showing that uh, the people are going to be degraded while they are in under siege they're going to be degraded they're hardly going to have anything to eat they're hardly going to have any water and that which they do find to eat will be disgusting will will but that to that level they will be degraded The Vayomer um, Adonai, and God says, this is verse 13, When the people are under siege, but actually here, when the people are then sent out into the nations in exile, those that survive the siege will eat their bread in an impure way among the nations that I will send them out to. So what's interesting here is that Se'atahadam, using that, that really disgusting way of cooking over feces, is disgusting in a physical way. Now there's two types of dirty and disgusting. One is the spiritual impurities that we're aware of, you know, the spiritual impurities associated with the various things, you know, the uh, cre- creepy crawly creatures versus um, uh, uh, dead animals that have not been slaughtered properly versus um, uh, uh, human bodies and things like that, which which impart a ritual or spiritual impurity. Um, there's also the impurities that are not necessarily ritual impurity, but are just disgusting in a physical way. They're just filthy, such as uh, fecal matter, which is just disgusting in a filthy way. The two are very different. Um, there is no... Uh, ritual impurity imparted by human fecal matter, but it's just something disgusting. Now, Omar in verse 14, Ezekiel kind of mixes the two in a way that's interesting. Ezekiel says, I have never experienced spiritual impurity, and he is going to connect spiritual and physical impurity, which brings us to an issue which we're not going to go into in depth here, but the idea of spiritual impurity People understood that to also teach them physical cleanliness and physical purity. And, and the two are mixed. In other words, if I have been guarding myself from spiritual purity, how much more so would I be guarding myself from physical dirt? So when one washes one's hands to eat food, for example, which we know is being done in a ritual manner for spiritual impurity. One should, therefore, according to what we're seeing here in Ezekiel, one should learn from that, that one should also make sure that his hands are physically clean and wash them off with soap and any dirt and any junk should be washed off. There is a relationship between spiritual and physical impurity. For Omar, and thus Ezekiel said, you're asking me to do something really, really, it was one thing to do something that's suffering, but here you're asking me to do something that's dirty. Aha, whoa, oh, God, Adonai Elohim, Lord my God, I have never even uh, uh, contaminated my soul. I have never eaten animals that haven't been slaughtered properly or animals that weren't kosher. From the time I've been a child, and not only that, even things 
A pigle is an animal that is brought on the on the altar, but in the temple. But the the, the priest had an improper thought while bringing it. So there's really nothing at all wrong or disgusting about the meat. There's only a technical uh, halachic uh, uh, Jewish law problem that he didn't think properly. So in other words, the, I was so careful with the spiritual um, uh, uncleanliness, which is minuscule, which you don't even see, which most of the world would eat without a problem. But for sure, how could I therefore go ahead and eat something that's so dirty and disgusting as a cake that's been baked over human feces? So Ezekiel is saying, I was so spiritually pure, how could I, for, I for sure cannot eat from something that's physically disgusting like that. And then God agreed with me. He said, Vayomer Eli, this is verse 15, God said to me, Re'eh, okay, fine, you can see, Nasati lecha et tzifi'eb habakar. I'm going to give you the dried out uh, 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 bits of cow's uh, dung, tachat adam, instead of human feces. Using animal dung as fuel is actually something that has been very common throughout human history. And even in modern times, dried cow dung is, is used as fuel. So this would not be considered disgusting. It might be to us in modern times, but in those days, that was considered normal fuel. And then you can bake your bread over that. So here we have a little bit of an insight into the... Um, something that's behind the halacha, something that there's there's Jewish law that tells us about ritual impurity, but from that, Ezekiel derived the practice of physical cleanliness, which is the lesson of these impurities. I, he said, I, Behold, I have never even uh, contaminated my soul with things that are spiritually unclean. How much more so what, do I not want to contaminate my body with something that's disgusting? It's one thing to... To, to emulate the suffering of the people to teach a lesson and to lie on my side for 430 days and hardly eat and hardly drink anything, but to do something disgusting and dirty that I'm not ready, to, that I please don't make me do, and God agreed with him. By Yomre Eli, and then God said to me, this is verse 16, Ben Adam, human being, Why am I doing this? And of course, God means to tell him this so that he can convey this to the people. As we said, while you're there, you need to explain what you're doing. And in Ishover, I'm going to break the staff of bread, is the literal translation in Jerusalem, meaning I'm not gonna, the people will not have enough bread to eat. When they eat, when they're under siege. This is an interesting flip because before God said, when it came to the impurities, he was saying the bread that they're going to have to eat when they're enslaved in, in other countries and exiled is dirty, disgusting bread. Both on a spiritual level, they're going to have difficulty keeping the rules of kosher and so on. And also on a physical level, they'll be enslaved. They'll be eating dirty, yucky food. So God is here saying now that while under siege also, they will eat bread by, by weighing it out, and others will hardly have any, so they'll have to ration it and portion it out. With worry, worry that they may not have enough bread the next day. And whatever water they do obtain, they'll have to drink by a measure. And when they drink it, they're going to drink it in a, in a, in a situation where their shimamon uh, is, is horror, is often described as horror or or just just being um, completely um, overwhelmed with with sorrow, worry, anxiety, etc. This is in such a way that they will be missing. They will not have enough bread and water to eat. 
and people will will um, will uh, stare in a blank-faced way at each other with nothing to say, nothing to communicate because there's nothing to do. They're out of ideas, out of ways. And they will wither away and, melt, and sometimes translated as melt away because of their sins. Um, this is, of course, a, not a very encouraging or pleasant chapter, but one from which we can learn a lot. Ezekiel was now asked to do these symbolic acts to convey this message um, and uh, to the people that are with him in the exile. Thank you so much for studying chapter 4 of Ezekiel together. Looking forward to studying together chapter 5 and, of course, the remainder of this uh, book of this prophet.